Hello and welcome to Real Deals' Due Diligence Roundtable, where we'll be looking at DD in the post-COVID era. The COVID-19 pandemic has certainly changed the way we work, and this is no different for private equity managers and their DD providers. While technology has hugely assisted remote working, we will discuss today what hurdles are in the way of private equity managers' DD of potential targets, what can and cannot be done remotely, and how managers' approach to DD has changed in the post-COVID world. Post-COVID, how will the DD process change? What types or areas of DD are managers putting the most emphasis on? And has the uncertain landscape meant that DD has taken even more seriously? Paddy, what are your views on this? I, mean, I, I think in terms of what people are kind of interested in, um, in the sort of COVID and sort of post-COVID world, is sort of, first of all, sort of how, how COVID's impacted on the sort of productivity of firms um, and, and sort of the ways of working. Um, and then secondly, uh, one thing we've spent a lot of time doing is looking into firms' customers uh, and their end sector exposure. Um, so if people have got end sector exposure to hospitality or physical retail or, or travel, um, you really need to understand different scenarios on how those kind of end, end sectors might, might, might evolve. Yeah. Um, we've spent a lot more time doing modeling work. Um, so just thinking through scenarios, if, if, if this happens or this happens, um, how, how might a business business evolve? Um, and I, I think I don't know if this is particularly related to COVID or not, but we've spent um, more time um, working with businesses maybe that haven't got a management plan together in sort of more off-market transactions, helping private equity funds. I'm not sure if it's a factor of COVID or not, but we have spent a lot more time doing that and helping people looking at market and competition to develop a plan which then yeah. gets due diligence. I think it's for the people who have been, uh, there's been quite a lot of sort of off-market deals looked at during the sort of COVID period as corporate finance has sort of moved away with private equity proactively reaching out to people. And Lizzie, how do you expect the DD process to evolve? Yeah, I mean, understandably, um, investors have been turning to us over the course of the pandemic to try and get a bit of clarity about what the government is doing in terms of business support schemes, in terms of what its fiscal response is going to be down the line, and just trying to, to think a bit further down the line than they may have done previously about, you know, what actually is the government's response going to look like and what does this mean, um, both for my portfolio, so for the, the assets that I already hold, and also mm -hmm. for the sectors that I am looking to make acquisitions in. And, you know, it's been, it's been incredibly difficult because things have been moving so quickly. But I think the value that we have been able to add has been um, helping them take a step back and look at some of the, the longer term trends, look at what some of the sort of the fiscal priorities are for government and just helping them, you know, almost break down um, all of the different parts of government and the decision making, um, mm. just scenario planning in quite a thoughtful um, in a thoughtful way to make sure that they understand all of the different moving parts that could potentially affect their investment decisions. So, yes, I think political DD in particular is going to become even more important over the next few years and particularly in the next few months as we start to unpick what the pandemic has meant both for the economy um, and specifically for the investment environment in the UK. James, on the digital side, how have the types of questions managers are asking DD providers changed? 
and what exactly are they asking? It's interesting. There's a. It really depends on the, um, I guess, the relative digital maturity of the business. So, one of the first things that are asked specifically, we've seen a lot of e-commerce deals over the last probably four or five months, most of which have been done completely remotely. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the emphasis is mostly on, on that COVID bump that, that a lot of e-commerce businesses have benefited from, or, or indeed kind of the, the, the downturn in their revenues that they may have experienced because you can't physically go to an environment uh, if, they, if they have a kind of a, a physical format store as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the first question, probably the, the question that gets asked the most is, you know, uh, the benefits that I'm getting in reduced cost of customer acquisition or the traffic bumps that I'm getting, the spikes that I'm seeing in sales, are they here to stay? Is this the new norm or is this just something that I have to factor in, you know, uh, as a, as a, a short term boost that then normalizes and goes back to, to normal? And, you know, we haven't had enough time really uh, to see whether or not that curve has, has flattened out or, or whether yeah. that, that improvement is here to stay. So that's been very, very difficult, I think, for investors to get their heads around, you know, and getting mm -hmm. some comfort on whether or not, you know, that, that growth is, is subsequently sustainable. I think the, conversely, the other side of things that we've been asked to look at a lot is, is probably more almost like a mini diligence post-transaction uh, where we've had, you know, investment managers say, can you have a look at this asset? Can it trade through this period? Is it as digitally mature as, as we think it is? Mm. Can, it, can it operate without the individuals being together and can it scale its digital operation uh, because it was a small part of the business until this point and now it's the entire part of this business. So you've got almost a change in a way a business operates. Yeah. Uh, and, and so trying to understand whether or not uh, the way that they've set up the infrastructure is, is there to can scale uh, you know, and can support perhaps increased competition in a digital mm -hmm. space or indeed jumping on some of the opportunities that might have been uh, created from, from, from COVID. Uh, so those questions are, I guess, asked a lot. Um, I think probably the last part that I would add to that is um, there's been a lot of uh, requests around future scenario planning. So should traffic fall to previous levels? What does that mean for my business? Should the, um, I guess the advertising space harden up? Um, how much will it cost me to acquire customers? And is that sustainable over the long term? And how defensible is my position? So there's yeah. been a lot of kind of scenario planning that, that's been asked to be done during the diligence process, which is perhaps a little different to, to normal where we might look as kind of look a bit more point in time. So that's been quite an interesting development. Matt, have any new areas or subsectors of DD emerged from the anxieties caused by the pandemic? I think what we saw pre-COVID was a, a sway um, on ESG matters. Um, there was an increase in, I mean, every single article that seemed to come out seemed to be relating around ESG in, in the financial markets. And it highlighted the impact uh, that business has on the environment and the society as a whole. Um, what we've seen with COVID, though, is significant impacts with staff welfare, with job security, supply chain risks, uh, climate action and internal governance matters. So to sort of complement the discussion about the governance uh, of a business, uh, not to mention the, the financial sustainability of the business and its viability, um, you've got a question, is the business model right in the first place? And there's a lot more focus on that. So mm -hmm. we're seeing investors wanting to get a much better idea 
um, of a company it targets ESG procedures, it's risk mapping, uh, it's footprint. And I think consumer pressure, we've seen climate action groups springing up all over the place. There's been the discussions on ocean waste plastic, the plastics debate itself, climate change. Um, all of these issues didn't go away. In fact, over COVID, I'd say they've intensified. Which areas of DD have taken a backseat or which sectors um, are proving more challenging for GPs? Chris, what are your thoughts on this? We've had a number of uh, tech DD assignments over the years in the travel sector. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was actually surprised that we've done two in this period um, during okay. COVID. So that was quite a surprise. And I think the focus has been more around you know, what others have mentioned sort of assumed bumps because of COVID in terms of revenue and, and, and fiscal um, analysis. But, you know, parking that to one side, can the company, um, can its technology stack deal with those sort of flexes in volumes or transactions or, or, or traffic? And mm. just being able to sort of analyse the underlying technology to make sure that ideally that it's sort of cloud-based with some sort of flex in place that can allow it to to cope with the ups and downs. So, um, you know, one of the travel deals has gone through without, without a problem. So that was sort of good to see given this sort of uh, rocky period. Um, but I guess a lot of our other work recently has been, you know, in addition to DD is sort of dealing with the sort of portfolio firms. And again, there's a number of travel businesses that were invested maybe 18 months ago that are now struggling a bit, particularly yeah. that are, dealing with flights or hotel bookings um, across Europe or internationally um, and we've been sort of helping them sort of restructure I guess in terms of if they've had to cut staff but also then um, some of the technology roadmap may have had to radically change they've had to develop new functionality to deal with uh, refunds or vouchers or credit notes which you know they weren't previously having to process so it's it's sort of helping them with that sort of uncertainty given the you know the circumstances we're all in. And Andrew what do you have any views here? I think the issue with diligence is is not so much the process because the industry has adapted very quickly the people on this call have all adapted very quickly and, and I, I'm finding no real drop in quality of the thought process or the output that's coming from the the uh, the dd provider industry the bigger issue for me is around the medium to long-term implications of 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 covid um on the targets that we were spending our time you know looking at i mean the basic premise of diligence is you start with an investment thesis you start with a business plan management's plan um, a path to value, call it what you will, and the diligence process is designed to test the key assertions, identify uh, the risks and the mitigants mm. uh, and the opportunities and the issue that COVID has brought, and who knows if it's the last time we'll see a pandemic, uh, there, there may be sun of COVID in, 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 in future years, who knows, is that that has added a, a new layer of, of risk and uncertainty to the process. And that uncertainty can take uh, a number of different forms. It, it might be the operations of a business, the move, the, the generally accepted view that we are as a, as a world moving to a more flexible, agile working practice environment. What does that mean for how a business delivers its service in two or three or four or five years time? 
Lizzie, from a political DD perspective, how have the types of questions being asked changed and what exactly are they asking? Well, unsurprisingly, the, the big questions we're getting um, at the moment are what's the long term impact of COVID going to be on government decision making mm-hmm. around its, um, its fiscal priorities? Obviously, we've had the budget recently cancelled, so we've got a few more months for the government to decide exactly what it's going to be doing from that perspective and that's meant things like the CGT changes have been pushed out um, which I know has been a bit of a relief for a lot of um, a lot of investors um, over the last few weeks. Um, We're also getting the sort of the trickle down questions from COVID which are well irrespective of what it actually means for government decision making what are the knock-on effects on things like Brexit on like the domestic policy agenda what's being pushed out that perhaps we would have expected to see in 2020 um that was included in the manifesto in december for example mm. I'm going to push ahead with those um, how does that affect the sectors that i'm investing in how have their priorities changed is it all still about leveling up and you know a big infrastructure agenda or because of covid because of brexit is this now something that is all up for grabs and how does that play into the wider mix? Matt, what types of questions are you getting around ESG? Um, How has managers' sustainability agenda or ESG considerations changed? I think it's interesting there's a it really depends on the um, I guess the relative digital maturity of the business so one of the first things that are asked specifically we've seen a lot of e-commerce deals over the last probably four or five months, most of which have been done completely remotely. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the emphasis is mostly on, on that COVID bump that, that a lot of e-commerce businesses have benefited from, or, or indeed kind of the, the, the downturn in their revenues that they may have experienced because you can't physically go to an environment uh, if, they, if they have a kind of a, a physical format store as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the first question, probably the, the question that gets asked the most is, you know, uh, the benefits that I'm getting in reduced cost of customer acquisition or the traffic bumps that I'm getting, the spikes that I'm seeing in sales, are they here to stay? Is this the new norm or is this just something that I have to factor in you know, uh, as, a, as a, a short-term boost that then normalizes and goes back to, to normal? And you know, we haven't had enough time really uh, to see whether or not that curve has, has flattened out or, or whether yeah. that, that improvement is here to stay. So that's been very, very difficult, I think, for investors to get their heads around you know, and getting mm-hmm. some comfort on whether or not you know, that, that growth is, is subsequently sustainable. I think the, conversely, the other side of things that we've been asked to look at a lot is, is probably more almost like a mini diligence post-transaction uh, where we've had you know, investment managers say, can you have a look at this asset? Can it trade through this period? Is it as digitally mature as, as we think it is? Mm. Can, it, can it operate without the individuals being together and can it scale its digital operation uh, because it was a small part of the business until this point and now it's the entire part of this business. So you've got almost a change in a way a business operates. Yeah. Uh, and, and so trying to understand whether or not uh, the way that they've set up the infrastructure is, is there to can scale uh, you know, and can support perhaps increased competition in a digital mm-hmm. space or indeed jumping on some of the opportunities that might have been uh, created from, from, from COVID. Uh, so those questions are, I guess, asked a lot. Um, I think probably the last part that I would add to that is um, there's been a lot of uh, requests around future scenario planning. 
So should traffic fall to previous levels? What does that mean for my business? Should the, um, I guess the advertising space harden up? Um, how much will it cost me to acquire customers? And is that sustainable over the long term? And how defensible is my position? So there's yeah. been a lot of kind of scenario planning that, that's been asked to be done during the diligence process, which is perhaps a little different to, to normal where we might look as kind of look a bit more point in time. So mm -hmm. that's been quite an interesting development. And Bernard, when assessing new deals, what types of questions will, be, will you be looking to ask? The questions you want to ask are the impossible ones. Um, you know, my very first boss in private equity said to me, well, you know, Bernard, forecasting is very difficult, especially of the future. And it, it is even worse today. <laughs> um, so you have to come back to the very big picture fundamentals of how good is this team? And yeah. I capable of dealing with the most torrid and difficult of times um, and fundamentally is this a business which has sits um, sits is at a, it is a is at a crucial place within its within its market environment is it a differentiated must um, you know business which which has to be used and therefore has value or is it and there's plenty of scope for these as well a business which is consistent and solid and does its own thing <laughs> here and those are very difficult questions to answer and they're impossible ones for I think for due diligence um, uh, firms to answer but we'll ask them anyhow yeah and in the end they won't give the answer because they can't um, but the process of thinking about it is, I think, very, very useful. Paddy, do you have anything anything to add on this? Kind of building on Bernard's point, um, I, I completely agree. A key question is how is a business differentiated? Um, and getting the answer to that, particularly from customer interviews, um, to really hear it from the voice of the customer. And, and really, it's not just the first question on sort of why people are buying from someone that is why they didn't buy from someone else what really makes it special that business special in the market and that, that goes really to the heart of good um, commercial due diligence and creating a, a, a product that really the, the management team is going to learn from and, and, and build their business plan plan off and it, it's very rare in projects that Fairgrade do that management don't in some way um, change their plan or look at the world slightly slightly differently um, from getting that, that customer insight. James, what about the timing of DD? Are managers beginning DD processes earlier? Are there certain types of DD that are being considered earlier or later in the deal process? I'm, I'm sure all of us on the call that are at the sharp end of delivering diligence will say it's, it's never started early enough. And, and the tendency for most IMs to link with tech-led uh, business or tech enabled uh, perhaps sharpening the focus slightly uh, but what what we have seen is certainly that fi I think financial and commercial will always be kind of that that priority in legal you know they are the things they are the extremely important to the process and making sure that, that everything's in order there um, mm. certainly we've seen digital coming in earlier time frames kind of elongating slightly for us uh, in that we're coming in around the same time commercial is starting because, you know, truly digital and, and tech kind of diligence are, are a pretty good complement to commercial due diligence. And Lizzie, how has the timing of DD changed in your view? Just to echo what James said there, I think it's a, a sign of the maturity of the market that DD is being done much earlier on. Certainly it's something we've seen from the political and regulatory side. Mm -hmm. um, 
the last few years is that we're being brought in almost as a sort of go no go service right at the beginning um, of a process and something else that we've seen certainly in the last probably two months as the M&A market has has really got back on its feet mm. is being asked to do some sort of short sharp top-up pieces of work um, to, to follow on from sort of larger pieces of DD that we perhaps did in Q1 of this year um, and then web processes were put on hold and brought back um, over the last few months, uh, last few weeks. Um, we've been asked to just do, you know, a couple of weeks work just to, to help investors understand whether there have been any kind of fundamental policy or regulatory shifts as a result of COVID. And is Brexit being considered? Has this taken a backseat? And Bernard, what are your thoughts here? The really scary one for me was if COVID wasn't around, just how much of a uh, panic, wrong word probably, how much attention we'd be paying to Brexit. Mm. And at the moment, I'm not even thinking about Brexit. Now, I don't know whether that's because uh, I'm not far, uh, not sort of, I've not stepped back far enough, I've not uh, got enough oversight or uh, I've not woken up and smelled the coffee, but I, I'm thinking COVID, I'm not thinking Brexit. I'm sort of thinking Brexit, yeah, well, <laughs> so what? In the way mm. we um, because COVID has just overridden everything else completely. Um, and that's quite, that's quite concerning. Now, clearly, when we're looking at something which is, um, which you know is directly affected, then you can do some thinking about it. But the implications, you know, the, the, second, the second iteration uh, impact of something like Brexit is something we probably haven't put enough thought into um, as an industry. Um, you know, we're asking our investee companies, what is the impact of Brexit? Are you prepared? How are you going about it? And all of those sorts of things. But uh, mm. we're, not, we're not doing a lot of work um, because we're not really quite sure what work to do on the, yeah. on the investments we're making. Now, maybe, maybe we should be, but we're, you know, we're dealing with the, de the, the immediate problem, not the one that's in, in January, which is now pretty immediate. Chris, in this market, is it possible or more likely for different streams of DD to arrive at conflicting conclusions? How should managers assess this? I think to sort of Paddy's points, I think generally we've always had some points that are raised where there's a, almost a debate around those. Um, there's some key red flag items that you'd expect to be addressed and there's normally not any discussion around those. Um, so there's probably some more vagueness probably around some of the ambers and the lower prioritized recommendations in the 100 day plan that yeah. we would just try and work closely with with the GP and, and the deal team to just I suppose give some give some background around why those recommendations were there in the first place mm -hmm. some of that might just require going back to the data room or further information requests um, just to get a better understanding but nine times out of 10, most of the recommendations in the, the 100 day plan are sort of acted on. So yeah. um, we don't generally see uh, a blatant disregard for what we say, but you know, I suppose it can happen. Lizzie, has the uncertainty caused by the pandemic impacted how forward looking DD on a business is? As our current environment is evolving at pace, what if wrong conclusions are drawn? What, what do you do there? Given the nature of the political due diligence work that we do, we've always um, provided our reports on a non-reliance basis um, and that has always been completely accepted by um, by whoever it is that's, that's commissioning our work. I think there is an understanding that 
when you are interpreting and analyzing human behavior and human decisions and choices in a very fast moving environment there is no way you're ever going to be a hundred percent certain about what things are going to look like in five years time i mean yeah. i think you know if i could do that i'd be a millionaire um and i think there is you know it's about working through as you say those scenarios looking at what the trends have been to date and helping businesses get comfortable with the level of uncertainty that there is yeah. rather than being able to provide a, a concrete answer or a, a concrete forecast about what is going to be happening in the in the political environment in you know even a year's time at the moment james should precursors or additional agreements be made to remove liabilities for incorrect diligence predictions or assumptions what are your thoughts on this well, as, as Lizzie said, I mean, everything we provide is on a, a kind of a non-reliance basis. Um, I think it's, you know, we don't have, we don't have a crystal ball and we, we can't see the future. You can only draw conclusions on, on the data that's available to you and, and what's provided. I guess there are, we can be a little, when we're dealing with actuals, when we have access to kind of back-end analytics and, and usage patterns and data points, you can, you can get a little bit more comfortable on the data, but subsequently when you're looking at kind of market sizing or competitor dynamics, you know, or broader um, customer behavior, you're, you're dealing with sample sets and, and you're modeling from that, you know, and I think it's it, pre-COVID, you know, post-COVID and, and, and many years before that, I think everybody's been quite comfortable that you know, you're drawing conclusions that, private equity firms are paying experts who, who know these, these spaces, who know these environments to yeah. draw their conclusions, but only on what's presented to them and what's available. Yeah. So there's, there's no absolute certainty. And I think everybody's in agreement with that. Um, and, and as such, you know, I think clients, the, the pre-firm make the final call. And Andrew, to conclude, is this something you're seeing? Where does the onus really lie? Yeah, well, I guess as the as the GP on the on the call, I I, I would love uh, for the diligence providers to underwrite the future and underwrite my return, um, make my life a, a, a lot easier. Um, the worst thing that a diligence report can do is not form a conclusion, uh, and so anything that takes away um, the ability for a provider to to make uh, a conclusion from the work that they've done. I'm not asking you for it to be right. I'd like it to be right, obviously, but I, it's a judgment at the end of the day based, as all of the my fellow panelists have said, on the facts and, and the, the call out of that particular moment. At the end of the day, investment is, is a risky business. It's based on judgment and the book stops with, with the GP. Um, so, you know, I think even in these risky times, the process remains the same uh, and I think uh, the, the, the diligence providers are doing the right thing in forming their conclusion, their view on how they see things, what the GP does with that information, how it interplays with their own investment thesis is up to them, it's their call, as I say the book stops with, with them. Definitely, definitely, amazing, great, great points to end on. Um, well, thank you all so much. I think it's been a really rounded and great, great conversation with all of you. It's been great to hear your different perspectives. Um, thank you so much again for taking part and for your time this morning. But yeah, thank you. Thank you again. And great, great to speak to you all.